And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast here on, well, Patreon, if you subscribe for five bucks a month at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. And it's going out for free here on this Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on Patreon, it's going out, well, basically immediately. And if you want to listen for free and all my free podcasts, every Wednesday comes down around three o'clock in the morning. And please share them. It's on iTunes. It's on Google. Uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your finer podcasts. And this is a podcast to say continuation, kind, kind of, because uh, a lot has happened in this time uh, since the last time I talked to Sarah Brosh. And uh, Sarah, I talked to you about a year ago, and you were talking about yes. your whole story about what, you know, I, I, what happened in 2018. And one thing as I kind of reflect upon this as somebody who's also been canceled myself of being let go from my radio job and having kind of a stigma around me, which is not fair. And it's also up for interpretation, explanation. Uh, Yet Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of my friends, a lot of people in uh, my business, if they wanted the real story, they can ask me, but it's almost like as human nature, people repel from when they hear controversy. And some people go towards the controversy. Some people want to know a little bit more, but others just like, Oh, you have baggage. I want nothing to do with you now. I am writing you off. And uh, that's kind of what's happened with me in the last year. But uh, you were one of the first people that I remembered hearing about that was totally canceled. And when we say canceled, we're not just talking about, you know, maybe you got let go from a job and then you, you found another job and everything's right as rain. No, your name is being dragged through the mud. And you're somebody that Uh, Even to this day, four years later, people still think of you in this way of uh, your, oh, that's the woman who harassed the person who was black and while napping. And it's, uh, and and by the way, uh, so if you want to go check out last, the podcast we did last year about the whole story, you can go back. But Sarah, first, before we get into everything, good to talk to you again. And just give us like a quick Cliff Notes Mm -hmm. update uh, for folks who are new to my podcast and new to your story. What exactly happened in 2018 and what what are some of the ramifications that you're still going through to this day? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's just it's a thrill and a pleasure to be here talking to you. And so I was one of the very first, uh, quote unquote, living while black instances or events that that happened and the whole sort of living while black movement, which is part and parcel with the with the Karen's gone wild viral videos that were just everywhere, especially on social media, especially Twitter during the past, you know, little over four years. It, this all really followed the 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 Me Too movement. So after the Me Too movement sort of, uh, you know, just exploded on a global scale, then the living while black movement followed quickly thereafter. And so these were most, mostly they were instances where usually white women were being quote unquote caught in the act, caught red handed, being um, racist. Um, And they were caught usually on camera phone. And it was like these snippets of out of context video that were just exploding online on social media. They started being called Karens gone wild viral videos. You know, we were the Karens and they all got different nicknames. And usually it was a situation where the Karen 
um, which is, you know, the the name for what is alleged to be an entitled white woman who like wants to speak to the manager. But in these situations, it was usually a situation where an alleged Karen was calling the police on a black person who was completely innocent and was allegedly doing nothing wrong, just, you know, going about their day-to-day business, living their life. And then some, you know, Karen shows up on the scene and decides that she doesn't want this black person in her neighborhood or in her park or in her dorm room or dorm, you know, on Yale's campus, et cetera. So that's what this movement was. And so I was one of the very first instances of this. And probably people also remember um, the Starbucks incident Mm -hmm. where there were the two men, the two black men that were, um, I don't know if they were actually arrested. I think they they might have been uh, in a Starbucks. They were sitting in a Starbucks waiting for a meeting. Um, and then um, me and then probably people also remember shortly after me was uh, the one that was called Barbecue Becky. It was in Oakland in a park. And she called 911 because... Um, you know, there was, I guess there was a black family that was barbecuing and you weren't supposed to be using hot coals um, in a part of the park. So that's what, so that's what happened to me. So the, so the fall, the completely false narrative that was propagated around the world then after this video was taken of me standing in the threshold of my, you know, isolated Yale dorm room at two in the morning is, um, the the false narrative is that I was this like secret Nazi who was trying to like lynch black students on Yale's campus via the Yale campus police by, you know, by like by swatting them. And so this obviously this is the exact antithesis of what really occurred. But that in a nutshell is what happened to me. And so um, in truth, what happened um, very, very quickly is that. I was, it's a, it's a huge convoluted story. And if people want the whole shebang, they can go to the other, to the other podcast that we did to get the sort of blow by blow of what happened. And I'll, but, I'll link to that, by the way, for anybody yeah. who wants to check that out. Perfect. Perfect. But just in a very quick nutshell, so people know um, who I am and what happened to me. So the, so the real story is that you know, I did exactly what I had been told to do by both the Yale administration and the Yale campus police. I had actually been meeting with the Yale administration for months because I was being harassed in my isolated Yale dorm room. I was, in truth, was living like this sort of, I always joke that I was living like this hermit Rapunzel at the top of a tower on Yale's campus, and I rarely left my dorm room. And so um, I, and I never called 911. I never called the New Haven police, right? I just called Yale campus police as I was instructed to do because I was had been harassed for months. Um, and I accidentally, you know, came upon the person whom I suspected was one of the people that was harassing me because why otherwise would she have been there? But then I didn't call the police until she actually, to my mind, actually confirmed that for me in statements that she made to me. She said, you know, are you that lady, you know, who called the police on that party called the cops on that party and then she said yes you are um 
And I also, I also um, was at that point that she uh, pulled her camera phone out from underneath the blanket that she had been covered by when she was lying on the couch. And I wasn't really quite sure what she was doing. I thought maybe she was actually calling the Yale campus police. Um, but I also, I just wasn't quite sure. I, it never occurred to me that I was being filmed ever. It just never even occurred to me that I was being filmed. But anyway, so that is, that is very, very briefly what happened to me. So in, now what subsequently happened after this was, you know, put online and exploded and was propagated around the world. And all of a sudden I was, I was being subjected to this global vilification campaign and I was being, I was being, you know, uh, smeared as this, uh, you know, genocidal villain who was trying to like, literally people accused me of being a Nazi. Literally people accused me of trying to lynch black students on Yale's campus by, you know, by swatting them, by, by calling the Yale campus police. It was, it was just, it was insanity. It was insanity. It was mass hysteria. It was mass hysteria. And um, so, yeah, so that's that in a nutshell. And so the Yale administration, whom, well, I'm I'm suing the Yale administration in court, but I'm actually, what I'm suing for is, it's a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request. And I'm suing for the Yale campus police body camera footage of me only from that night, because I think that it shows very clearly that, you know, that the Yale campus police and the Yale administration, you know, knew what was happening and knew that I was, you know, completely innocent and was doing exactly as instructed and had been harassed and knew that they were lying. The Yale administration, including Yale President Peter Salovey, immediately after this happened in May 2018, released public statements immediately that condemned me as guilty of racial harassment immediately mm. before before I even knew before I even knew what had happened to me the Yale administration was releasing public statements that condemned me as guilty of racial harassment and I and remember I had been meeting with the Yale administration specifically um, Yale provost, then Yale provost Stephanie Spangler, who was also the university-wide Title IX coordinator. And I had been meeting with her for months. So they knew, right? Like at the very least, they knew that there was a much bigger picture, a much bigger story to be told than just the false narrative that was propagated around the world that I was this, you know, um, you know, evil white woman who was trolling the main ground floor common room of my Yale dorm at two in the morning, you know, looking for random sleeping black people to call 911 on. Right. Mm. So what Yale did to me was just, is just, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And so there's a much, much bigger story to be told, but, um, but just to jump to, so we don't take too much time. So just to jump to like, my life was destroyed. My life was absolutely, utterly decimated and still is destroyed. 
more than four years later, my life remains destroyed. I cannot get a job in my fields. I can't get a decent paying job at all. So I, I struggled for months and months. So when I finally stopped getting my fellowship from uh, Yale, then I struggled for months to find a job, any job, any job. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't find one, not as an attorney, which I'm an attorney and not as, you know, not in academia. And so I finally found, you know, um, a low paying temp job. I work at home and I absolutely, I love, I actually love my job because I'm helping people. Um, I don't want to get into the specifics because people are still to this day trying to get me, you know, fight. There are campaigns, including online campaigns to this day to get me fired, to get me disbarred, you know, basically to try to destroy me and so that I end up starving to death on the streets or end well, up, and, you know, killing myself. And that's part of the other thing is you don't you know, just like with me, I don't tell people what I do for the day job because you know there are trolls out there that are going to yeah. look around and, and if they find out, they're going to call that place of employment and say, do you know that you employ a brutal racist? Do you know what? And so I, for me, it's, I do a job, I get paid every two weeks and I don't tell anybody about it. Only a few people know what I do and that's that's the best. But the problem is, is and this is kind of where, we go from here because you can look up, uh, uh, you, you know, at B R A A S C H. You go look it up, and your name's mm -hmm. all over the place. And there's all everywhere. There's there's anywhere from you have James, like the James Lindsays and other people who are in support of what your whole plight, and they think it's ridiculous. And others, you there. I mean, one of the first things you see is a uh, a petition that said to get you thrown off Yale's campus, to get you this and that, and had all yeah. these signatures. Now it's four years old at this point but the point is people didn't know the story they didn't want to know the real story but right. in their mind they thought they know the story because that's what that's a lot of that that what ends up happening with these and it's funny you mentioned the starbucks situation because that also happened in 2018 and where yeah. it was oh they called the cops because it who who was it that called the cops was it this brutal racist no it was I think she I could be wrong, but I believe it's a it was a lesbian who had like blue hair, like what a, like a tip what you would think a typical Starbucks employee would be. Hey. And uh, she called because they're like, are you going to order anything? No, we're not. We're just hanging out. We're waiting for a friend. Well, if you need to use the bathroom, you can, but you have to order something. What? It's because I'm black. And I've noticed since then, you've had a lot of stories where people are treading very lightly. Then, of course, you have two years ago with the riots and the protests that happened after the death of George Floyd, that right. it just seems that any type of racial matter, people and especially white people are just they're so deathly afraid of having people pick it in front of their building that they just go, look, we have no choice right now. We can't hire right. you. We can't keep you on board. We can't do this. So this whole part of cancel culture, and as I, I was messaging you just the, the other day about this, um, you talk about cancel culture. I can't, and I said this when we did the podcast a, a year ago, and I say it now, and I didn't think I was going to at this time apply to myself, but I can. I don't care so much about Dave Chappelle does, has a venue that gets canceled 
because what happens? Right. He gets a venue canceled. Then another one opens up down the street. And but either way, let's say the venue cancels. He's got his money. He's going to be fine. It, it, as much as you we want to make it a free speech thing, it's also a monetary thing. You pay people to go away. Who I care about more are the people like you and me that you do something that is really not, you know, some people can misinterpret what's what happens with something. And when the narrative gets out there, it gets twisted and people want to believe certain things. So when you when you have somebody who posts Blue Lives Matter on their Facebook page, for example, I always use that example. And then you get, oh, what, what you don't think Black Lives Matter? It's like, no, I didn't say that. And that person gets canceled and they get written up. And a situation like Sarah Brosh, where you want to apply for a job in your field and you can't. It's the thing you, you've studied for so many years. It's the thing you know what you can yeah. do and you can't do it. And it's hard for, I think, a lot of the common people. We can all say, well, I don't believe in cancel culture. But until it really does happen to you, you don't know how it affects you. And you're dealing yeah. with that where to the point where uh, you, you have to work a job outside of your field because no one inside your field, no matter what the story is, uh, even cares. They have their narrative and they got to stick with it. That's right. And actually, I just I just spoke about this on the Larry Glover live show with uh, Wilfred Riley. Wilfred Riley has been one of my just guardian angels. He's I just love him to yes. death. Oh, he's been so amazing to me. And he's he's a Kansas State University professor. Just if anyone doesn't know who he is, um, please follow him, support him, Wilfred Riley. And he has written a number of books now. Um, specifically on hate crime hoaxes and he just he writes and he's just been so supportive and just amazing to me and I love him I love him forever for that so I was just had talking with him on the Larry Glover live show and, and the first thing he asked me was to give my definition of cancel culture right and I'm going to repeat exactly what you said right like Sure, you can you can think that maybe you can think that like when J.K. Rowling gets, you know, mobbed on Twitter when she, you know, criticizes gender ideology, which often happens, that that's part of cancel culture. But really, you know, someone like a J.K. Rowling, she can't be canceled. Right. She's so rich. She's so she has so much status. She's so high profile. She has so much wealth. You know, she just she can't be canceled. But that's not the case for people like you and me. No. We can very much be canceled. Our lives can be absolutely decimated. And so truly what the way I define cancel culture is when um, is when you have that, you know, social media moral outrage mob that, you know, inflicts by Twitter and I call it woke and I actually call them the woke KKK and when I first started saying that people you're breaking up I'm sorry back a lot oh well, that's okay I was getting how, the, how there, my, there you go no you're good now are, we're good now okay yes. so the way I define cancel culture is that it's specifically when you are trying to 
um, inflict the grossly disproportionate sentence of social death or suicide upon a private citizen, nobody. And I think that, that it's very important to make that clear. What, when I am talking about cancel culture, I'm talking about what is done to people like you and me. You know, I'm not, no, we're not nobody's like, you're a wonderful person. And, you know, you obviously you have incredible value as, you know, and human dignity. That's not what I mean. But I just, I think you understand what I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not public figures. We're the antithesis, and especially me, especially me. I was the antithesis of a public figure. I was basically hiding from the world, right? And all I wanted was to be left alone. And so, um, so I, when I'm talking about cancel culture, I'm talking about when, you know, when private citizen nobodies are being targeted, and they're being targeted by these social media moral outrage mobs, especially on Twitter. And I call it trial by Twitter. And I also call it, I actually call it woke KKK cancel culture. And when I first started saying that, people really pushed back because they thought that's so inflammatory, you know, to use the term KKK. But I do it. I, I do it for two very specific reasons. One is that I want to point out how insane and racist and evil it was for people to accuse me of being a Nazi, to accuse me of trying to lynch black students at Yale. You know, that that accusation is I'm that language directed towards me that's what puts my life in grave danger right that's mm -hmm. why I had to go into hiding for more than three years to save my life so that's one reason why I say well kkk and then the other reason I say it is because truly what the way I define cancel culture is when you're subjecting private citizen nobodies to um cancel to trial by twitter you know, you are subjecting them to the sentence of social death or suicide. And there are been, there's a, so many suicides at this point now. The suicides are piling up. So no one can say that they don't know that there's a strong likelihood when they do this to someone, to a private citizen, nobody, someone who you don't know this person may, like me, may have mental health disabilities they may have suicides in their family like I do. Um, my, you know, both of my biological brothers are dead. And um, I consider myself, my, my de facto brother, Sean, killed himself. My biological baby brother, Jacob, killed himself. The, a dear, dear friend of mine, Wendell Green, killed himself. So I have a lot of suicides in my life. I'm susceptible to suicide. I have mental health disabilities. I have so much trauma in my life. You know, I've lived a life of egregious trauma, including sexual trauma, including childhood sexual trauma. And so when these social media moral outrage mobs, and these aren't just anonymous trolls, right? These are people who should know better. These are people who should know better. These are Twitter blue checkmark public figures, but they are, you know, they're politicians. You know that um, Kristen Clark, Kristen Clark is an attorney 
And she is the head of Joe Biden's civil rights uh, department in the Justice Department. And she waged a Twitter terror campaign against me after the living or napping while black hate crime hoax. So we're talking about we're talking about people with immense power. So people usually like to say that what cancel culture is, oh, it's it's just the marginalized and the oppressed coming together collectively and, you know, using the power of social media to, you know, aggregate you know, their, um, their disgust, you know, and their condemnation of the bigotry of the powerful. That's like, you know, that's, that's what they like to say cancel culture is, right? That almost like they're saying that cancel culture is a civic virtue. It's a civic virtue to try to cancel people. It's funny you say that, because I was just going to bring that up. Because what one thing I always hear when they say, they, they either say cancel culture doesn't exist, or Oh, no, here's here's the thing. They always say cancel culture doesn't exist. But if it did, it would be wonderful because it's not canceling. It's accountability. It's not cancel culture. It's accountability culture. And these people believe they are the virtuous ones because it's 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 the it's like killing baby Hitler. It's why would you kill a baby? Yeah, but he grows up to be Hitler. So you're justified in killing baby Hitler. Now, I, I hate using Hitler and, you know, it's the Godwin's law. I don't like bringing that stuff up, but. It's one of those cases where yeah. people feel that they are the virtuous kind. That's why we say virtue signaling. So if you're attacking somebody who's even if they, whether regardless of you knowing that that other person has severe mental issues uh, and they commit suicide, God forbid, or overdose or uh, get hooked on some kind of uh, substance, in their mind, they say, well, pfft, you, you effed around, you found out. And uh, right. you just kind of see these situations of where you said it's that trial by Twitter where, I mean, how many times, I think I may have brought, brought this up last year, but how many times do you see a tweet that goes out and it gets 150,000 retweets and uh, you know 900,000 likes, and then it's retracted. And then after that, the retraction or the correction is has 52 tweets or 52 right. retweets and five likes and you go so so what you're doing is and this is where this is that accountability if you want to talk about canceling anybody it should be holding members of the media accountable because they should know better they know they know exactly what they're doing because they pose as activists and what they do is they put this stuff out there knowing that people will not check on a follow-up story i always remember the story that it uh, not far from where i'm at is uh oberlin college and this was about 10 years ago they said that they were spotting clan hoods at Oberlin College and everyone's looking around like oh my god I can't believe the the, um, the dean had to come out and say this is egregious the racism even at a liberal arts university like Oberlin that this could happen well it turns out it wasn't a clan hood it was a woman who had a one night stand who didn't really have the proper clothes to go back to her dorm and wrapped herself up in a sheet and walked to the <laughs> back to her dorm Oh, you gotta be kidding so me. So what happened after that was, was there an apology? No, it was, well, we should still be very sensitive with these matters. And even if, and it's just, just like with all the, the fake nooses that have come out too, that anytime it's been brought up and it's like, well, there, there's a lesson we can learn that racism still exists today. And you go, that's not really the lesson that we should be learning about this particular case. And this is the problem that we talk about is that your case and so many of these others are 
isolated incidents. This isn't a part of a greater pattern. That's what they make it seem like. This is a systemic issue of like whenever there's a police involved shooting and they all have to make it white cop, black suspect. We just had the one over not far from me here in Akron, Ohio about a month ago. And the narrative goes out. Oh, he was unarmed. Well, yeah, he was unarmed because he dropped the gun 30 Mm -hmm. seconds before he did end up getting shot. So if you want to get into technicality, but that news goes out first and everybody has to jump on the first story and they cannot be convinced otherwise because it fit their narrative. So your story was something that as soon as that went out there, it was napping while black. Well, we have our narrative and you can give them all the facts in the world. It's that it's that meme. You've probably seen it online where they say they believe in something and the other guy gives the. Uh, all the facts of the case and the person lights it up on fire and says, no, 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 this is what I want to believe. I don't care about your facts. I care about my my truth. It's ridiculous. Right. Well, and at this point and the, the media and I, I just unreservedly just, you know, just call them the fake news press because they absolutely are the fake news press. They are, you know, well, so many there's so many parts to, that are to blame, including civil society like the ACLU. It's all part of what I call the black trauma moral outrage industry. And but the fake news press in particular, it is disgusting. They have turned themselves into I call them the Sean Kane slash ACLU style Twitter race hustlers now. That's what they are now. And they, we have to revisit uh, the Supreme Court ruling that they hide behind, which is called New York Times v. Sullivan. And basically it gives them carte blanche to destroy the lives of private citizen nobodies like you and me with almost complete impunity. Because it just, basically what it says is that as long as, um, the fake news press and Newsweek did this. This one is so egregious to me, this example. Newsweek, there was an, in the, this was maybe about a year or so ago now. There was some woman, a black woman who took a TikTok video of her little old white lady busybody neighbor who came up on her porch and said she didn't like this. She had a flag. The black woman had a flag of Tigger on her porch that Mm. like her child had put up. And so this little old white lady, busybody neighbor came up on her porch and said, I don't like your Tigger flag. I think it's tacky. That's literally what, what she said. Um, And so the, the woman, the black woman took a video of her, of her little old white lady, busybody neighbor made it a TikTok video. It got like 10 million views as like a racist hate crime and then the entire fake news press pretends like this is a legitimate news story and that's the problem with new york times v sullivan right now because all like newsweek has to do is pretend that it's a legitimate news story this like ridiculous tiktok video and then so then what that does is that makes that that private citizen nobody, that little old white lady, it makes her an involuntary public figure, right? And so as now, now because you say she's an involuntary public figure, the Newsweek is basically completely shielded legally from a defamation suit. 
mm. you know, under New York Times v. Sullivan, which is why we have to, we have to revisit this. And there was a great piece very recently where um, someone, oh, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to um, butcher his name. I can't remember it. Off the top of my head, I think it's Yuri Vanatek. Vanatek is the writer and it's a piece of real clear policy. And he basically said like two, two or three or four days ago, he said exactly what I'm saying now, which is what I've been saying for forever. We have to revisit New York Times v. Sullivan because right now, the fake news press has carte blanche to destroy the lives of private citizen nobodies for money, for moral outrage money, industry money. Yeah. You, men you mentioned the the black moral outrage that's been going on. And a lot of that has been this has been going on for a while, especially in the days of Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton and the, you know, the mid to late 80s, the Tawana Brawley case and Crown Heights and everything after that. It's been upgraded because of social media, because of TikTok and uh, uh, YouTube and a lot of other sites that have mm -hmm. popped up. And what's interesting about this is, it, again, we're not talking about, but it, if there's a situation where there is true racism that's going on, right. there is justice that needs to be served. The problem that's is, right. as I always, I've mentioned this in a lot of cases, and it's going to sound controversial when I say this, just like with the Nazi thing, the demand that these these people on the woke left to the progressive left, the, the demand for racists and racism and the same with Nazis does not meet the supply. So what they have to do is they start broadening it out that for every Dylan Roof, they have to make an example for it's like I, everybody would agree that Dylan Roof is a brutal racist for going, being white, going into a black church in South Carolina and murdering right. most of the people in there. Everybody knows right. that is the most egregious form of racism. What we also do have is this umbrella where we're now talking about uh, anything from Don Imus saying nappy-headed hoes 15 years ago to microaggressions to all this other right. stuff. We're talking about systemic racism and systemic this, this, and this. And, uh, uh, and, and I've mentioned it a lot in this podcast talking about it, but it's a it's an example of what we see in that trial by Twitter and trial in the media that, and I, I, I hate saying this, but it's true as somebody who has worked in the media and knows a lot of people in the media, many of them don't talk to me anymore. Um, they are very guilty about their, you know, being white and they don't have a lot of black friends. And the only black friends they have are the ones who vote like them, who think like them, who talk like them, who hang out with the same social circles. But they ultimately want nothing to do with the black community. They don't live near the black community. They don't really want mm -hmm. anything to do. It's just but they have to go out of their way to show how moral they are and how virtuous they are. And that's why they in a lot of ways, they have to make a virtuous signal right. uh, and, and accuse people like you and me and others of this because it shows how good. Of, no, no, no. I'm not the racist. That's the racist. And. It's a real problem, and it's been exacerbated by the Tariq Nasheeds, by the Sean Kings, by yeah. uh, anything from what we've seen the last couple of years, Robin D'Angelo's white fragility and, uh, and the critical race theory. And, and even if we're not actually calling it critical race theory and all this other stuff. And then that leads into also the gender stuff, which you know is a whole other topic. But it's one of these cases of 
if you are not fully into and buying into what is going on right now, you're going to be next. So you may think you're fine now, but just wait until you go against some kind of uh, some kind of idol and they have to come after you in your ivory tower. So if you don't think it can't happen to you, you're wrong. Oh, my goodness. I say that to everyone because and everyone always knew this, too. Everyone always knew this, too. I am literally a lifelong human and civil rights attorney and activist. And and actually, and John McWhorter, actually, he talks about this in um, he has a recent book called um, I think it's called Woke Racism, if I'm remembering correctly. And John McWhorter is he's a professor. He's at Columbia. He's a linguistics professor. Now he writes for The New York Times um, and he uh, has a, a new relatively recent book out called Woke Racism. And um, and he talks about this where it's like I was really had infiltrated the inner sanctum of social justice. Right. I, you know, even considered myself, I called myself, I literally called myself a proud social justice warrior. My Yale advisor, he's still my Yale advisor, Jason Stanley. People, some people may not know that name, but some people probably do recognize that name. He's quite famous at this point. He's sort of the paragon of the social justice warrior, right? Of the woke social justice warrior. So I was at Yale the PhD student of Jason Stanley. I was also the PhD student of Tom Tyler at Yale Law School. Tom Tyler is, he is someone who um, is a co-director of the Justice Collaboratory at Yale Law School. His co-director Tracy Mears and him were on Barack Obama's 21st Century Policing Task Force. So he's also like the paragon of the woke social justice warrior, right? Mm-hmm. So I worked. I was his PhD student. I worked at the Justice Collaboratory. I worked on projects to combat police brutality and implicit bias. So. You know, I was in the inner sanctum. Now, the reason why, and this is why I mentioned John McWhorter, is um, because this is sort of something that he has explicitly and specifically said, is that I had to be ousted. And he calls wokeness, woke social justice, a religion, right? He calls it a religion. And this is why uh, I had to be ousted as like a heretic or an apostate, right? Because I did consider myself a proud social justice warrior, but I also considered myself a reformer from within. And I've always been like a super hardcore civil libertarian. And it's part of the whole huge, huge convoluted real story behind the living or napping while black hate crime hoax at Yale. But just Uh, Just so people understand the real reason, the real sort of bottom line, underlying reason why all of this has happened to me is because in my first year as a Ph.D. student at Yale, I stood up for the federal civil rights, the religious expression rights of an evangelical black man who was our only person of color job candidate for an assistant uh, professor position in the philosophy department at Yale. Now you think like, why would that have gotten you into trouble? Oh, I became persona non grata at Yale. I became, I was ostracized. I was a social leper. And the reason why is because um, he, the, the 
PhD students in the philosophy department went trolling online for, you know, any sort of online, years old online comments that they um, could use against the job candidates. And so this was a, a black man, our only person of color job candidate who happens to be an evangelical Christian. So they found these years old comments that he had made on an explicitly Christian forum where he basically just said that he adheres to the Bible, to biblical scriptures, Christian um, doctrine, and he understands that to include a prohibition on sodomy, which he understands to uh, mean gay sex. And so because they found these comments, these years old comments on a Christian forum that this job candidate had made, they wanted to just wage a whole campaign to destroy his candidacy, to make sure that he wouldn't be, um, you know, hired at Yale. They wanted to protest his job talk where he was supposed to have given a job to a philosophy talk, a talk on a philosophy paper of his. So I basically stood up and said, I'm not going to allow you to do this. I will not allow you to do this because you are arguably violating his federal civil rights and I won't allow it. I'm just not going to allow it. And that is the whole underlying reason why all of this has happened to me. The Yale administration targeted me for years. So I was branded an anti-LGBTQ bigot on Yale's campus and made persona non grata. And that's also why I was, you know, sort of repeatedly harassed in Yale graduate student housing on campus. So, um, yeah, I kind of forgot exactly why. Oh, and so John McWhorter says the same thing. Like he says that, that, uh, oh, this is how it ties back to what you were saying. It's like, they have to, they're so, they don't have the racism that they want right? They don't have enough racism to make the kind of money off of, you know, off of racism that they want to be able to make as part of the Black trauma moral outrage industry. So now they're going after their own people, right? Now yeah. they're going after someone like me, you know, I'm in the inner sanctum. And so now they're going after someone like me. And now they're perpetrating, like, I call this whole phenomenon, the Karen's gone wild viral video phenomenon. I call the whole phenomenon uh, the great racism scare, the living while black race hoax, because not, you know, I'm not going to say every single one, but all, I'm going to say at this point that I think it's pretty clear that almost all of these stories are just ludicrous, are just are just not at all, you know, stories of evil white women Karen's being racist against black people. That's not that's they're they're hoaxes. They're race hoaxes. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny you mentioned about social justice warrior that ideally somebody who was what it became. a. a I mean, you think about these terms, woke and SJW, they start off as what they were and they get corrupted. Now, in this case, Social Justice Warrior kind of got replaced by Woke, I think, just because it yeah. was a lot easier. But it became it, it, it was a corrupted word, but in the different way, because usually other words get kind of corrupted and Woke ended up being a pejorative towards people who are overly progressive and everything like that. Um, but it's the controlling of the language that goes on, where ideally 
a lot of us want to be social justice warriors. A lot of us want to be woke to the trials and tribulations of life. But it's the pro it's the process in order to achieve that means. And the problem is it, like I said, it gets corrupted. Like, say, for example, one of my favorites is Antifa, anti-fascist. Right. And so what happens is that there's that plausible deniability at the beginning by saying, what do you mean? What's wrong? First of all, Antifa is an idea. And second of all, aren't we all anti-fascists? Isn't it okay? Like, shouldn't we all be anti? And and you go, you're playing with the, you're playing with the coding of this language here. This is all coding that you're, you're doing. When you say Antifa is a corrupt, uh, in my opinion, terrorist organization, and it's a paramilitary wing for a lot of members of the media. Yeah. But uh, that's my opinion. But they're corrupting the language by going by shrugging their shoulders and go, what are you talking about? Aren't we all Antifa? You know, I'm not radical. I'm just an anti-fascist. Well, you're using a lot of fascist tactics in order to achieve your anti-fascist utopia. That's never going to happen. So, excuse me, it's it's interesting how they uh, and when we say they, that's another broad term when we use that they who is they? Is mm-hmm. they a, an actual individual? Is it a group? Is it who is they? What what is they? And it just seems that we've we've now become this society that in the last couple of years, especially since uh, COVID, because if it wasn't for Zoom, if it wasn't for what we're doing right now, I don't think we have the lockdowns. I don't think we have the kind of COVID hysteria that we had, but we do. And it's a new universe. It's a new world that we're living in right now. It's a post-COVID world. It's a post-pandemic and people getting mm-hmm. booted off of social media and everything. And But this stuff has been going on for a while, whether it's political correctness, whether it's shadow banning or outright banning or social media mobs that have popped up. It's just, I think it's finally gotten to a point where people are getting, shall we say, woke. They're getting hip to what's right. going on right now. <laughs> And I think and I I really do believe 2018 was a year was a pivotal year and and not in a good way of a lot of change that has been going on in our society uh, from a lot of people like whether you agree or disagree with anything he says. But Alex Jones got banned. Uh, Laura Loomer got banned from social media. I believe that was when Milo officially got banned. And a lot of people who are on the, I guess, dissident right or even libertarians in a lot of ways got banned off of social media, but it wasn't just, hey, we're kicking you off Twitter. It's, we're kicking you off Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, your Google account is gone. And not only that, we're gonna go in through your PayPal. Uh, Oh, you like to take Uber because you don't wanna drive? Well, (laughs) that's gone too. Oh, you you don't wanna stay in hotels, you go Airbnb? (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna take you off of that too. All the way up to the point where we're going now to your bank and freezing your bank account as the Canadian truckers saw back in February during the protests. This That's has been right. happening. I know Laura Loomer has been one of those that that I had mentioned that is basically been canceled off of nearly everything. And how do you make a living in that case? And this has been going on now for several years. It's just it's finally getting to a point where I think people, even just your average person, not even a Fox News viewer or a CNN watcher, or New York Times reader, uh, but a lot of people that are just, hey, wait a second. That's not right. Because I think a lot of people were very docile for a while. And then all of a sudden they say, mm-hmm. hey, I heard so-and-so. It's, you know, uh, it seems like a lot of people are getting 
injured from these vaccines and they're dropping dead or having heart problems. And all of a sudden right. they get a, a seven day ban on Facebook. You go, all I was posting was just some observation. So I think a lot of people are waking up to stories like yours and others over time that I think even four years ago was, I think we still had a little bit more of a docile populace, but since COVID, I think people are waking up to what is really happening that's going on out there. Yeah. I think I think you are exactly right. And I think because people are truly waking up in the true sense of the wor- word to to what's being done to people like you and me, I think now there's there's backlash against that. And now like the powers that be are like, wait, we thought we were going to get away with this. We thought, Sarah, that you were just going to curl up in a corner and die somewhere for us so that we could, you know, continue to make moral outrage industry money off of your corpse. And I think people are shocked that like people like me and people like Amy Cooper from the Central Park living while black race hoax. And I definitely refer to that as a race hoax. Um, And people probably recognize the name name Amy Cooper. She was the white woman. It was on May 25th, 2020, the same day that George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, that she had her altercation with Christian Cooper, the black man, the black birder. The bird watcher, yes. Exactly. In Central Park in New York City. And Amy Cooper was there with her dog and um, she had him off leash in the ramble. And so Christian Cooper um, and he truly did threaten her. And but um, people are probably very familiar with that viral video. And she's now suing her former employer, Franklin Templeton, who fired her. Um, over the incident and so it was another Karen gone wild viral video and you know and so Amy Cooper was allegedly the evil white woman Karen who called the police on the innocent black birder Christian Cooper but actually you know that was a complete you know completely false narrative and now in particular, um, a gentleman named Camille Foster is a journalist who's been working very hard on behalf of Amy Cooper to get the true story out there. So Amy Cooper and I have joined forces and we've teamed up and we are going to fight back. We're going to fight back against we are going to end woke KKK cancel culture and trial by Twitter. I mean, we have big long term plans right now. We're just trying to get um, we were specifically looking um, for the other, you know, um, evil white women, Karen's, quote unquote, that were were subjected to these living while black race hoaxes in particular. I mean, we're open to other people too, of course, but we were initially reaching out to the other women like the barbecue Becky, corner store, you know, Kathy or whatever she was called. Um, But, you know, the, the permit Patty, the other women, the evil white women, Karen's to put together a, a confidential support network, but we have big plans for the future. We, we eventually want especially after um our legal efforts are you know are concluded for both myself against yale and for um and for amy cooper against franklin templeton once our legal efforts are concluded we have big plans for the future we just want to create like we want to do everything we want to do legal advocacy we want to create a nonprofit to help people who've been canceled like we were and we just want to make sure that 
this never happens to another innocent private citizen, nobody ever again. So that's our big plans. But so anyway, so what the reason why I brought that up is because there is now a backlash, like, because we actually have the temerity to stand up for ourselves and defend ourselves and fight back, which I think people are shocked that I'm fighting back. And so now I'm being, we're being attacked really viciously because we are stepping up and fighting back. And very recently, um, you know, uh, Amy Cooper was subjected to another just grotesque social media moral outrage mob that was instigated by a BBC reporter named Mega Mohan, I believe is how she pronounces her name. And so this this BBC reporter doesn't even know Christian Cooper's name, but she, you know, tweets out basically something about Christian Cooper getting this new National Geographic TV show because he's been sainted as Saint Christian Cooper, which he's nothing of the kind. But um, but so but this BBC reporter doesn't even know Christian Cooper's name is is dredging up a two month old story. It's now a two month old story that Christian Cooper is getting this National Geographic TV show about birding. And um, and so and and the only reason they're doing it is for black trauma, moral outrage industry money. And they're shielded. Well, this is a BBC reporter. So they, I believe they're I believe they're located in the UK. I could be wrong about that, where they're where they're where they're specifically located. But I mean, and at least in the US, the fake news press was shielded by New York Times v. Sullivan. But also this during this past year, the what's been happened to me happening to me, the way I've been attacked during this past year, because I have been standing up for myself and defending myself and fighting back is just it's it's mind blowing. Um, Richard Painter he is a University of Minnesota law professor. He's a former White House ethics lawyer, if you can believe it, for, um, I believe, the first uh, Bush White House. I can't remember exactly, um, but I believe that's correct. Anyway, w- one of the Bush White Houses, I think, no, I think, yeah, he was the White House ethics lawyer. I think it was in the early aughts, like, around 2005. Um, but anyway, so he, he started a vicious, a vicious Twitter terror campaign against me in September of 2021. That is still ongoing, Mm. is still ongoing. Uh, he, he, he has compared me to Hitler. He's compared me to Ahmaud Arbery's killers. Uh, he, he has been trying to get, he badgered Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison to prosecute my GoFundMe for fraud. Um, he has, it's just, it's insane. And so then he decides he's going to run for Congress for the first congressional district in Minnesota, which is in Southern Minnesota. And he performed abominably. It was laughable, thank goodness. But I did everything that I could to try to get the word out that he is completely unfit to serve in public office after what he did to me. Literally waged a now 11-month Twitter terror campaign to destroy me, you know, an innocent Yale grad student and civil rights attorney. And so this is the backlash against us. This is the backlash against us. They're trying to bury us now 
because we are getting the truth out. We are getting the truth out. And, um, and I was actually, and I believe that it was probably very likely Richard Painter who, uh, who did this, who, who made this come about, but I was permanently banned from Twitter. I think it was in October, mid-October, 2021. I remember and, there was a while. I'm yeah. like, it's okay. Like, cause I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was concerned because you were telling me about your mental health and everything like that. And I'm like, uh Oh, uh, I, I was really, I was really scared. I didn't have your phone number and I had no way to reach out to you at that time. And then when yeah. you came back, I'm like, okay, good. She, uh, she's back I was suicidal the the only reason why I didn't get my PhD in fall of 2021 finish my dissertation and defend it and get my PhD finally is because of Richard Painter because of his campaign to destroy me I was Mm -hmm. suicidal I I I was suicidal again it was just, it was, I was living in a state of constant terror because Richard Painter and all of his minions were just terrorizing me. They were, you know, contacting my employers. They were trying to get me disbarred. They were contacting, you know, everybody, the FBI. So it, it was just, it was insanity all over again. And I was, I was suicidal again. I was living in a constant state of terror. It was a hellish nightmare. It was a hellish nightmare. And this is the backlash now against people like me and against Amy Cooper, because we are standing up for ourselves and defending ourselves. And I will never stop the fight for justice. And because and and it doesn't this is the big point that I try to get get across to people so much is that it does not matter it literally does not matter if you think that I actually did something racist at Yale or if you think Amy Cooper actually did something racist in Central Park in New York City. What was done, the scale of what was done to me and to Amy Cooper, neither of us committed crimes. I know that, I know that, you know, that. Um, Amy Cooper, you know, was actually prosecuted for a crime which was completely ludicrous. It never should have happened. But um, neither of us committed crimes. And even if you think we did something racist, the response, the grossly disproportionate response to try to subject, you know, a, a completely private citizen nobody to social death or suicide, to just, to try to just eviscerate them, to try to, you know, just, you know, unperson them, you know, via trial by Twitter without due process. And, and it's not even just about me or Amy Cooper or the other individual, you know, so-called evil white women Karens. Maybe you don't care about me. You think that this could never happen to you, which you're com- just like you said, you're completely around about that. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. Mm. It can happen to anyone. But even if you don't care that my life was destroyed or you don't care that Amy Cooper's life was destroyed you don't care that we were sent into hiding. Um, you don't care that we can't work and that we're scared, that we're terrified that we're going to end up on the streets. Even even if you don't care about any of that, because you don't care about me and you don't care about Amy Cooper, people should care. Yeah. 
because this is undermining our our legal system. It's undermining our egalitarian public space. It's undermining our social institutions. And people should absolutely care about that. They should absolutely care about that. Well, and that that leads me to one of my final questions here is that I'm very disappointed in women nowadays. And when I say Mm -hmm. that is, I I always heard that aren't women supposed to stick up for other women? And it it almost just, it was decided in the last couple of years that, nah, not really. I mean, it used to be where it seemed like, oh, women, we got to protect ourselves. We got to protect each other. And then all of a sudden, it, if it, it's almost like this oppression math. If you see that women are in a, a, an oppressed group, but black women are more oppressed and black trans women are even more oppressed. And then when you start getting up this, um, uh, you know, w- when you start looking at the identity politics of it and you start yeah. going up with the intersectionality that. So, for example, we've seen this in sports nowadays where you have trans uh, transgender women. So former males, biological males that are either identifying or go through some uh, process of uh, estrogen and but they still have the the male testosterone in there. And we're seeing anywhere from Leah Thomas over at Penn, who is just swimming laps around other women. Uh, And I still is a biological man, but identifies as a woman. And you see others where it's in UFC or boxing. And I I just the response from women is almost non-existent. They're afraid of losing. They're afraid of being called turfs. They're afraid of everything. And uh, in this case where uh, it just seems nowadays that women have now become one of the few groups where anyone can make uh, white women, especially make fun right. of where like you have right. Bill Burr doing comedy, especially going dude, white women and white women, this, and it, we're all supposed to sit there and laugh. And you, I'm thinking to myself, man, this was, was not a thing 10 years ago. And when you have a situation like with what happened to you and what happened with Amy, where are the women? But instead, the women don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be called TERFs and transphobes right. and everything. And so this is why it's almost taking uh, men that are stepping up in a lot of ways. And I don't mean to sound chauvinistic or sexist or anything like that, but it just seems like women are dropping the ball in help and not helping enough of their own kind, I guess. And yeah. it's, it's very disappointing that it seems like you're going, you and Amy and others are going at this all alone without the help of your own gender. You are so right. You are so right. And I just, um, and people attack me for that, but actually like, you know, it's been men. It has been mostly men who have, uh, you know, stood up for me, who have protected me, who have helped me, who are my, you know, guardian angels supporting me. And you are exactly right. And I just like, this is the thing. And like, Amy, Amy Cooper, and I have talked about this, where it's like, in the in the at the height of me too, at the height of the me too movement, I'm being attacked and eviscerated. Uh, my life is being destroyed. Why? Because literally because I took reasonable precautions to enter my isolated Yale dorm room safely when I was 
followed by a stranger, by a man, a stranger. And he followed me up to my dorm room, up to my isolated Yale dorm room in what was very clearly an unauthorized manner. And all I did was take reasonable precautions to enter my Yale dorm room safely. That's literally all I did. And so why isn't in at the height of the Me Too movement, at the height of the Me Too movement, why is this not, why, just because the strange man who followed me up to my isolated Yale dorm room happened to be Black? So I'm now, I'm not the, you know, the sort of the, the victim or the hero of this story. Now I'm the evil genocidal villain because I called the non-emergency helpline of the Yale campus police exactly as I had been instructed repeatedly to do. And the same thing for Amy Cooper, like she was a woman alone in Central Park, you know, who was clearly, if you get the whole picture, the whole story was clearly being threatened by a much larger man. And so, and she, what was she supposed to do besides call for the police? What else was she supposed to do besides call for the police? You know, so, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't me too all about women, you know, speaking out when they feel they're uncomfortable and, and they feel that, you know, that their personal safety is, is being compromised. Isn't that what me too is supposed to be about? And it's just, it's and this also this is something that you know in the in the context of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp defamation trial which i'm so thrilled that Johnny Depp you know basically won that trial against Amber Heard is that you had all of these people coming out afterwards that were so upset about you know the verdict in the trial saying that oh this is the death of me too this is the death of me too and i'm like no do you want to know when me too died do you want to know when me too died me too died when living while black died because everyone turned living while black into a race hoax and a blood sport to demonize white women like me and amy cooper for black trauma moral outrage industry money that's when me too died me too died just like you said me too died when it was no longer okay for a woman who was followed you know up to her isolated Yale dorm room in an unauthorized manner by a strange man to call the non-emergency helpline of the Yale campus police without having her life destroyed on social media without being branded as a genocidal villain on social media that's when me too died me too died when Amy Cooper's life was destroyed by woke KKK cancel culture and trial by Twitter after she called 911 because she was a woman alone in Central Park with a much larger man who was threatening her and her dog. That's when Me Too died. When she got branded a genocidal villain, her life was destroyed. She can't get a job. She can't live her life now. She was subjected to the sentence of social death or suicide. That's when Me Too died. That's when Me Too died. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's so sad. And it's I mean, everything should be a case by case situation. And we don't live in that world where we 
we don't sit back. We don't wait for the facts to come out. We automatically come right out. And you know, just like I, I mentioned about that Akron shooting where they said, oh, it was an unarmed black man who was shot by cops 60 times um, and be- over a traffic violation. And me, I, I see that story and I go, OK, I'm going to give it two days and I'm going to see when this story gets flipped on its head. And sure enough, it was everything changed. And that's that's why the story kind of was corrupted and everything. And, but it's just those two days where a narrative goes out and people believe what they want. So unfortunately that's what you've had to deal with in these last four years. And I guess the last thing I'll, well, last two things I'll ask you, first of all, one of them, where can we go if uh, people, you know, are, are listening to this feel bad and, they want to help you out in some way, paying some bills and doing whatever. And the second Thank is, you. where do you go? Where do we go from here? Where do you go from here? Or, like, do you are, do you have to change your name? Do you have to go into some kind of witness protection? Uh, or are you going to stay strong, keep the family yeah. name, keep your name and uh, try to fight this? Because, you know, even if it is a winning battle for you and you can win some things, your name is still out there. It's still right. branded as, right. uh, and some people will still believe because they heard that original story. So, you know, as we <clears throat> were over halfway through 2022 and we had 23, what's next for you? Right. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I am still, my, my legal efforts against Yale are ongoing and it would just mean the absolute the absolute world to me if people would uh donate to my legal fund my wonderful attorneys at randaza legal group will be back in court in september fighting to restore due process and equal protection at yale and so probably the best thing to do my gofundme is called sarah brosh legal fund um, and maybe the best, the easiest thing to do, because I also have links to my my PayPal and my YouTube and everything, is if people want to go to my Twitter account, my Twitter account is Sarah Brosh One. It's S-A-R-A-H-B-R-A-A-S-C-H-1. And, um, and my GoFundMe is called Sarah Brosh Legal Fund. And I'm extremely, because I'm trying to dominate all of the idiocy and the nonsense and the, 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 you know, vile, you know, defamatory, disgusting lies about me that are just everywhere online, just everywhere online, right? And I'm trying so hard to, uh, to dominate that. So I've been incredibly prolific online. You know, I have a YouTube channel, I have a blog, I have a Twitter, I, you know, I have my GoFundMe, I have my PayPal me, I have, I, I have everything. And all you need to do basically is Google my name and everything, everything will pop up. And if people would like to help me, it would mean the world to me. I currently have about a $33,000 legal bill Mm. and, and climbing. And now I have gotten wonderful support. um, And I love my supporters. I don't have that many, but, but they are wonderful. And I love my supporters and they, I'm literally still alive because of my supporters and I love them. I love them so much. 
Um, and I'm doing everything I can to find sort of venues of raising legal funds so I can pay down this legal bill. But if people want to support my efforts by helping me pay down my legal bill, it would be amazing because it is just it is not cheap. And and Yale has hired some top notch, high profile, very expensive attorneys to fight me tooth and nail. And they're they're you know, they take every chance to delay the legal proceedings as much as possible because they're trying to bankrupt me. Um, I mean, you know, I already am bankrupt. I have no money. I'm living in poverty, you know, just basically barely paying my bills with the job that I have. So if people want to help, that would be absolutely amazing. And um, I am, I'm, I'm going to fight until the bitter end. I just don't think that when Yale in particular decided that they were going to pick this fight with me, that they knew who they were dealing with. I just, because it's just not in my nature to back down. I'm not going to start the fight, but I'm going to, I'm going to end it, you know, I I'm, I'm never going to change my name. I will never change my name because I shouldn't have to. And I also am never going to change my name because it's my dead brother's name. And that's another reason why I fight and I will fight kingdom come is because it's my, it's my brother's name and I'm not going to allow these woke KKK monsters to drag my brothers who are my guardian angels you know, guiding and protecting me. I'm not going to allow these woke KKK monsters to drag my brother's name through the mud. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow them to do that. So I'm, I'm in the fight till the bitter end and I want justice and I won't, I'm not going to settle for anything less. And same for Amy Cooper, you know, um, she's, you know, it's hard and she's, you know, I'm, I'm four years out and, and her, she's only two years out, a little over two years out. And her global vilification was, was as horrifying as mine was. Hers was even worse, right? Was that's even because worse. Because of what happened that year, like everything that happened. That's right. So that's where the, you know, the, you know, the barbecue Becky and everything was going right. on was any, any example that we can showcase of what we want to deem as racism it, it it's almost like you you i shouldn't say I'm, I'm i'm being facetious when i say this but it's like you you are the pioneer of this <laughs> it's true it, think about it's what would happen what could have happened to you if this happened two years later if this happened in, in the year of 2020 and right. it, i mean i don't want to say that things could be better or worse or whatever the case right. but this is a we're in a new world now and yep hopefully uh, that there's enough people that are looking out for you and looking out for the people who are getting canceled. And I mean, truly canceled because there is no, when they mention cancel culture, they don't talk about a rehabilitation process. They don't, uh, whether it's a, a Maoist struggle session that we have to sit there and go to classes and learn about things. And when society deems that we are good to return, then everything mm-hmm. is good to go. That's not the case. Their goal is you go away, whether it's right. physically like you will die or we want you completely shipped off onto another planet. And mm. there's no that. And, and in their mind, that's virtuous and that's accountable. But it's not. It's it's a 
Uh, it's, it's fascism. Evil. It's evil. It's yeah, it's all of that. And, you know, if we can get to that point where even if it takes a few of us that we can cr- try to change this uh, mindset and change this conversation that we can really fight back against these people. And like you said, all the people who are attacking you just wait until something happens to them and that they get right. turned on. You saw that with right. how many, we were talking on an earlier podcast about a male feminist, how many male feminists during the Me Too movement were around there that would white knight other women and say, see, I'm not like all those other guys. And then a couple of girls start coming out and say, hey, weren't you the guy who harassed me in the bathroom? Hey, weren't you the guy who exposed and sent pictures of this? Or, hey, weren't right. you the guy who got me drunk and took advantage of me? And then they go yeah. away because what happens is that always, almost always comes back and hits them too. So at yeah. some point they get theirs, but we're not out for justice. We're not out for that. We're out for justice for people in our circles. I mean, yeah, every so often you get, yeah. you kind of like, go like, well, you know, you, you saw what happened. So you, you came out against me and now it's happened to you. Well, I, I'm not going to shed any tears right now. So it's at some point we are going to, we're going to get through this. And we're going to have alternates where, oh, your bank account got shut down, your uh, JP Morgan Chase or your, uh, your U.S. bank account got shut down. Well, we over here have one that we allow people to speak their mind and do this. So is that a good yeah. thing for our society? Is this, is this a good thing ultimately that we are so divided as a nation that it's some of us believe in free speech and and wait till things come out and others want to have that trial by Twitter. Uh, if that's the case, if that's the country you want to live in, you're not going to like where, where the, the direction is. And hopefully if that direction does go in that way, you're going to see less cases of Sarah Brosh and Amy Cooper and Tony Mazur and everybody else who gets accused right. of something that right. is really not, uh, it, there's context to it and there's nuance and, we we are we are on the side, not a political side, but a side of we want to know more information. We want to know nuance. And if we come down to it and we see the facts in front of us that if you if indeed you targeted somebody because they were black, well, let's wait until that comes out. Otherwise, I'm going to withhold judgment. I'm on the side who withholds judgment until I know what a- actually happens. And hopefully billions more are going to be like that pretty soon once they hear about your story and others. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And I hope not some a lot of people have said to me, well, maybe it just gonna it's just gonna take maybe like everyone has to be canceled, yeah. <laughs> which will happen eventually Good. before people realize that this is not such a great this is this isn't gonna work, right? Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe it's got to take Gen Z to do something because I, I my generation, the millennials, I'm I'm disappointed in. I'm not I'm not too keen on Gen X and of course not the boomers, but hopefully Gen Z can go, uh, you know, where they say, oh, you're a racist. You go, uh, yeah, that doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, I don't uh, ascribe to your <laughs> to your name calling. Uh, I don't right. you know, maybe it's going to take that of people putting a proverbial uh, like a figurative or even a literal middle finger to these canceled mobs and just saying, do whatever you want. Um, the problem is. The problem is all these woke corporations, and those are the people right. who are uh, right. shaking in their boots that have to do that. So if somebody sees that your resume comes in and you say, "Wow, you're overly you're overqualified for this job. This is amazing," and then they look you up and they do a quick Google search and go, "Yeah, if we say that we're hiring you, uh, and then we're going to have a people picketing in front, yeah, we can't exactly yeah. do that right now." It's like it's got it's got to take employers to finally step up. It's got to take 
uh, for everybody to say, look, we're, we can't kowtow. We can't bow down to this, this cancel mob. To the mob. Uh, That's and right. really, and when we say it's a mob, it's a couple of people. <laughs> In a lot of ways, when people protest something, it's a couple of people. But these corporations are so afraid and they have to really buckle down. And uh, hopefully if enough mm -hmm. of them decide to start hiring people and uh, actually, you know what, uh, off the air, I want to give you some information. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of uh, Kevin Dolan and the exit group, but this, this is a really fascinating mm -hmm. thing. I'll have to send that over to you. It's basically okay. he's got an organization where uh, it's people who've been uh, fired from their jobs over social media and they find right. some kind of job placement for people. Oh, that would be amazing. So yeah, I'll, I'll send you some info on that because I'm gonna, I'm trying to Perfect. get you on the podcast here too. Oh, great! Excellent. Sarah, thank you so much for being a part of this. I can't wait to post this, and uh, let's let's keep getting the word out about this. Yeah, this true, a, a true injustice. This is true injustice. Yeah, this is injustice it's true by injustice. everybody, and uh, I I hope more people are going to hear your story, not just from this podcast, but in general. And more people need to know what's going on, and there needs to be a follow up of with your story from people in mainstream press. And yeah. uh, this is this is not this is not good, but I I don't you know let's let's keep fighting. Let's keep. I know you will, we'll and keep I will fighting. do the same thing. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure, and I'm so pleased with how this how this turned out. And you have just been one of my guardian angels too, and I love you forever for that. And I'm so sorry for what has happened to you as well. But we will we will stand together and we'll fight this. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's the that's the thing for me is radio is not a viable industry anymore. So luckily for me, as much as I've poured 15 plus years of my life into into a business that doesn't want me anymore, even though I know I'm good at it. Maybe this is kind of a blessing and that it gives an opportunity that I can make money, I can do something else and not have to worry about always looking over my shoulder and, and dealing with people who are in a different business uh, than academia, than the media of people who are in their own echo chamber. And we deal with actual hardworking blue collar people who look out for each other other than yeah. people in uh, these uh, uh, areas of elite professions. So, but right. again, Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, I will, uh, will, I'll have to have you on again soon and uh, best of luck going forward. You too. You too, my friend.